Well, there was a few uh, how not to praise, weren't there, in that uh, video. The last guy was uh, probably the authentic one, but we're going to talk today just a little bit about um, rules associated with prayer. I don't like to think about rules with prayer, but just take these as uh, general guidelines uh, that might be helpful uh, as you think about your time with God in prayer. This lady up on the screen was unknown in the world 10 years ago, but in uh, April 2009, she appeared on Britain's Got Talent. And she appeared as a, uh, a well-rounded middle-aged woman. She came from a, a little village in, in Scotland that was uh, hardly known. And when she uh, appeared on the show, some of you have probably seen it, most of you probably have seen it, she was really uh, sniggered at and smirked at by all the judges and even by the crowd as she walked out onto the stage. And it was all because of how she appeared. And she had some, some strange little mannerisms as well. I think later they found out she has Asperger's. But um, that all changed unbelievably uh, when, after a little introduction, she started to sing. And there's a seven-minute um, video clip on YouTube of that uh, incident where she's on Britain's Got Talent. And a year after the event, it had been watched 88 million times. I, I watched it just yesterday and it's now been watched over 200 million times. So here's this unknown woman who has a very, very ordinary appearance, and um, she's now known throughout the world. Everybody thought she was a bit of a fruit loop, uh, but as soon as she opened her mouth, that all changed. And if you watch it, it almost gives you goosebumps, just the, the, the change in the attitude of the judges when they actually hear this voice, and from being smirking at each other and sniggering, uh, they're all uh, affirming and uh, very complimentary. So quite an amazing uh, story. It it reminds me of uh, how much, as uh, human beings, we focus on outward appearances. I don't know about you, but uh, we do very, very quickly come to a conclusion about a person uh, by the the very initial look that we have of them. And it's uh, it's always a, a very unjustified conclusion because we don't know anything about that person. You know, about 1,000 BC... Uh, in searching for someone to succeed King Saul as uh, the leader of the nation of Israel, the prophet Samuel uh, learned uh, this. He learned, the Lord doesn't look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, you know, that's probably a, a principle that, that comes through the Bible in many places. Uh, Solomon, later on in the, in the, on the screen there, says, says something almost the same. And we have a tendency to judge things Uh, by the outside, uh, but God looks at the heart. I want you to remember that as we think through what we're talking about today because I think that is the heart of the matter. When it comes to prayer, God is so much more interested in our uh, heart and what's going on inside of us than all of the external stuff that we might want to portray. So I could almost leave it there, but that's the main thing I want you to remember today. Outwardly, you or I might appear to have the purest motives. We might have um, even convinced ourselves that our motives are good. Um, But God sees behind all of our well-crafted facades and God sees right into the depths of our hearts. And I think sometimes if our motivations were really revealed, uh, we'd realise that they're not near as pure as uh, we might believe or certainly as we would want people to believe. You know, Jesus invites his followers into a life where the inner reality matches the outward appearance. He invites us into a life where the inner reality of our lives matches the outward appearance. 
And he begins his teaching about, about generosity and about prayer and about fasting in what we've come to know as, as his really main teaching manifesto of the kingdom. In, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. He begins his teaching on these three things, fasting, prayer and generosity, with this uh, verse that's on the screen. It's, and you can look it up in your Bibles if you've got a, a device, Matthew chapter 6. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So that's like an introductory comment to this passage. Don't do your deeds to be admired by other people. Because you'll lose your reward from your Father in heaven. You see, we uh, get our reward when we get the affirmation of people. And, and Jesus is saying, don't do things to get the affirmation of people because actually it's God that really counts. So we're going to look this morning at the specific things he says in this, uh, this manifesto, if you like, about prayer. And I've divided them into to three or four rules and then another one tacked on at the end. Um, so we've got five rules this morning and they're pretty straightforward, but I hope you can remember them by the end of the day. The first rule is don't pray like the hypocrites. And if you were to read this, uh, this passage, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I'll tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. Now, praying to be seen was the issue. It was praying to impress others rather than to ask from God. And you know, for most followers of Jesus, I think there is an ongoing pressure that we feel to give the impression that we've got our act together more than we have. Now, when we prayed before we started this morning, Bron prayed for me, and she prayed that out of my years of experience in prayer, I might be able to communicate something that would be helpful to you. And I felt ashamed because the reality of my life is it's not as prayerful as it should be. And, uh, and yet I'd love you to think that I was a really prayerful person. And I think many of us, if we were honest, we'd say that uh, we've never prayed on a street corner uh, to win the applause of others because I don't think we'd win too much applause today. Um, but I reckon if I'd gone away and I'd spent the whole night in prayer, I'd be really struggling not to tell you how good it was and, and what a great time I'd had with God. Uh, and, you know, I'd be hoping that you'd think that I was a really spiritual giant of a man um, because I'd spent a whole night in prayer. And so... The reality of me spending a night in prayer would probably be more like that sleepy bloke on the video um, talking about salt and light and salt and pepper and oregano and pepperoni and stuff. Um, but any time, I think, when we pray and when we pray in a, in a public setting, uh, there's a danger for us to try to put words together that sound acceptable to others. But we're not praying to others. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. So the first thing is don't pray like the hypocrites. The second one is don't pray like the pagans or, or the Gentiles, some translations say. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words uh, again and again. Don't be like them, for your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So there was this idea, that, in a pagan idea, that to please the gods and to actually get through to the gods... You had to use the right formulas. You had to use the right words to impress them. Now, public prayers uh, were offered usually by um, a priest in a pagan sort of environment. 
at the time of Jesus on behalf of the community. So public religious ritual had to be enacted by these specialist professional people who had all the right words and they had to do it faultlessly. One historian talks about a time in, uh, in Rome where um, the presiding magistrate at a Latin festival as he was praying, he forgot to include the Roman people among the list of the beneficiaries of his prayer and they had to start all over again because he hadn't actually got the words right. So they had to get everything perfect. It was like uh, almost long, complicated magic words that they'd repeat over and over, often associated with offerings as well. Um, and it was done with an anxiety to actually appease the gods, to keep the gods um, satisfied, to pacify them if, if they'd done something wrong. And they were never quite certain because there were so many uh, deities in, these ancient, in the ancient world uh, which god they might have been pacifying or even trying to pacify and with what formula they needed. And so uh, pagan prayer often entailed this whole lot of formulaic um, prayers to various deities. And, and the prayer couldn't be sure uh, whether the, the, the formula he used was correct or whether he'd actually got through. How different is that to the God of the Bible? And I think the lesson we should get from that is... Um, Though I think we need to be pretty sceptical about people who come to you with a formula for prayer. I've got to actually pray these words in this way to get this result. God doesn't work like that. As I said before, God's more interested in our heart. He wants to know what's going on in here. And so if we, if we come to a certain situation, we think that there's a prescribed way that God would like us to pray for that so that we get the desired result. I think it's becoming quite almost like using magical words to twist the arm of God. God wants us to pray sincerely from our hearts. So he doesn't want our prayers to be mechanical. I don't know about you when you say grace for a meal. Uh, Many of us probably do. It's very easy for that prayer to become a mechanical prayer, isn't it? Thank you, God, for this good food. Amen. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when somebody actually takes the time to genuinely Uh, use that time with their family to actually pray a meaningful prayer, uh, a prayer, a heartfelt prayer to God. So let's not let our prayers be formulaic. Let's not let our prayers be mechanical. Uh, Many churches use a liturgical form of of worship and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's something wrong with it if for people it just becomes a mechanical thing where they're going through the motions. Some of the words in those prayers are magnificent, but if they don't mean something to us as we say them, uh, then it does become mechanical and formulaic. Rule three, find a quiet space on your own to pray to your Father in secret. It's exactly what the, the, the passage says. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private and then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. I love this picture of a chair. Years ago, I visited a lady and stayed in her home in Swan Hill. And uh, she had a, a space in her house. It was probably no bigger than, than a toilet. Uh, but it was her, her prayer place. She had a chair. She had a little desk. She had no distractions. She had a Bible. And she told me about the things that happened in that room uh, when she met with God. And it was challenging to me. Um, but I wonder for you, is there a quiet space in your world where you can pray, go away by yourself, shut the door, and be just in the presence of God? You know, we are uh, just bombarded by distractions. For most of us, it's, it's incredibly difficult for us to find that quiet space, but we need to. 
I love Lindy's chair because it's a picture not only of, of uh, God and the sort of Father God who wants to, uh, to, to comfort us, but it's also a place we could sit um, to meet with him, a place of, of uh, real embrace where God meets with us. You know, we, we, we serve a God who isn't oblivious to our needs, who knows what we need before we ask, and who's a loving Father. And it says, go and pray to your Father who is in secret. He's a loving father and he's a good, good father. That's the one we pray to. And you know, God knows our motives and he wants our heart. I wonder if you've got that space in your world. It seems funny, but for many years that space for me was a little quiet corner in a cafe in Eastland at about 7.30 in the morning when no one else was there. And it worked for me. I wonder if you've got a space like that in your world which is just somewhere you can go to be alone where there's no... No distractions. That sounds distracting, but it wasn't for me. I wonder if you've got a space like that. And if you haven't, think about where you could find one. What might you need to do to make that space really happen? Find a quiet space on your own to pray and pray to your Father in secret. Now, Jesus isn't saying that there's no place at all for public prayer, but he's saying when we pray, when we're serious about praying, we need to go into that secret place where it's just between God and us where we've got no, um, no agenda other than to, to, to be with him and to communicate with him. Uh, the fact that we have standing, if we're followers of Jesus, with God only on the basis of Jesus who made a way for that to happen for us. And so my fourth um, rule is that we need to pray in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that every time you pray you need to meticulously say, uh, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Um, but that's a good practice. It's a really good practice. But I think we realise that as we pray, we are praying in the name of Jesus because he's the one who gives us access to the Father. In John chapter, uh, chapters 14, 15 and 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room before he um, goes away and, and is ultimately crucified. And he says, you can ask for anything in my name. And I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And then uh, in chapter 15 he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. You know, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, first of all, and I think the Stephen Duckett illustration probably illustrates, it's actually our access rights into the very presence of God. It's not my standing that gets me there. If I were to pray in my own name, not very effective because I have no standing with God. I only have standing with God on the basis of what Jesus has done for me when he lived and died and rose again so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be brought back into relationship with him. And so I come into the presence of God grateful for the fact that God has rescued me through Jesus. And I come there in the name of Jesus, not in my own name. And so I recognise when I say in the name of Jesus that I, I am standing there, not in my own standing, but I stand there because of Jesus and his sacrifice for me. The other thing I think uh, that it probably has a, some degree of meaning is that it's actually about representation. It's not my agenda that I'm bringing to God, but it's the agenda of my king. You see, when an ambassador goes to another country, he doesn't go in his own name. 
he goes in the name of his own government or his president or of his prime minister or of his king. And so for followers of Jesus, we're described as ambassadors for him in the world. And so when we come in prayer before God the Father, we're not asking for things on our own behalf, but we're asking on behalf of the one we represent, who is Jesus. And so we're coming to ask for things that will benefit him and will benefit the, the, the building and the growth and the extension of his kingdom. And so to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray what Jesus would pray if he, would, if he was where we are, as though Jesus himself were making the request. I wonder when you pray in the name of Jesus, uh, think about, is this the sort of thing that, that Jesus would want? And then final thing is uh, authority. In this final verse in chapter um, 16, you can see it there. Sorry, you can't see the screen there. Um, Jesus says, at that time, referring to the time when he's gone away and he's no longer with them, at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you'll ask the Father directly and he'll grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. What an amazing promise. You know, I reckon a lot of times when we pray, we, we, we think it's ask and we'll hope for the best. But Jesus says, ask and receive and have abundant joy. Jesus is preparing his disciples in this passage for a, a time when he's not going to be present with them in the body. And after his ascension, the disciples are not going to be able to ask Jesus to do anything at all face to face. But at the same time, after he's ascended... He's promised his Holy Spirit, his very presence to be with them. And they'll have the Holy Spirit revealing God's truth to them, revealing God's desires to them. And so they'll be able to speak to the Father and ask him directly. And the promise of Jesus is that God will answer those prayers. And this saying, I pray in the name of Jesus, it's not a magic formula for answered prayer, but it's rather a recognition that followers of Jesus can come into the very presence of God with the authority of Jesus in his name. There's a song we used to sing, it says, Into thy presence we come, not by the works we've done, but by your grace, by your grace alone, into your presence we come. That's how we come to God. We come into his presence. It's only because of God's gracious uh, dealing with us that we can. Finally, rule five, pray with confidence. There's a fantastic verse in the book of Hebrews and it says this, and the background to a verse like this is that uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the Jews had a high priest and the high priest had special privileges and he was the one who went into the holy, holy place to meet with where God was uh, once a year and he went there on behalf of the people. And in this verse, Jesus is described now as this once for all great high priest who superseded all the high priests in the past who actually goes to God on our behalf Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I just love that verse. Throne of grace. Don't you love that expression? It's, you can just picture God seated on a throne. And, and we could say, well, is it a throne of judgment? No. Is it a throne of condemnation? No. It's a throne of grace. 
God's wanting to give you his very, very best. God wants to bless you with all the things that you need to live your life for him effectively in this world. Final verse. I can't read it. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So uh, adding to this picture of uh, praying in the name of Jesus, at the very same time as we're praying in the name of Jesus, there's Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and he's actually speaking on our behalf as well. Can't get any better than that, really, can it? You know, I think it's time to practice some of, the, some of what we've been learning. And Cindy and the band are going to come up and we've got a, a final song. And uh, as they come up, I wonder if you might just think about, you might want to shut your eyes as I, as I speak through this, think about what we've been learning about prayer, about the sort of God we pray to, about the mystery that, uh, that prayer is that we, we don't fully understand, but that God, as Ellie spoke to us last week, somehow uh, through prayer uh, wants to include us in what he's doing in the world. But as you sit there, I want you, wonder, wonder if you want to shut your eyes and quietly uh, and secretly put into practice some of these things that we've been learning about prayer. You know, as we sit here and as we pray in these few moments, we're not coming into God's presence to impress anyone else or to make ourselves feel good. We're coming to a God who knows our motives and, and who wants our hearts. We're not coming to God with a formula. We're not coming to a God who needs to be woken up or pacified or convinced with many words or who's unaware of our needs. We're coming in the name of Jesus. He's the one who gives us access to God the Father. He's the one we represent, so we're asking for things that he would ask if he were us. We're coming to God with the authority of Jesus who said to his followers, ask using my name and you'll receive and you'll have abundant joy. We're coming with confidence to a throne, not of condemnation, but of grace. You know, as we sit and pray, I wonder whether Ali's symbols from last week might be helpful to you. If you weren't here, I've got them up on the screen. The first one was holding up a hand, holding up a shield. Remember, maybe there's someone you need to pray for. Pray for protection. Protection from evil, protection from the darkness that might be uh, besetting them at this time. A shield. Then there's the clasped hands. This idea of pleading with God pleading with God on behalf of, of someone else or maybe on, on behalf of one of your needs, something that's really concerning you at this time. Then the other, the next picture was open hands, open to God. God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal your desires for me or, or for other people. I'm open to what you want to do with me today. And finally, the, this idea of a handout, a handout to bless, uh, to encourage, to pray for, for the good of another person, that God might just give them a measure of his goodness and experience that in their lives. You know, maybe as you sit here this morning, this is all new to you. You've never actually called out to God. You're not sure about how. Maybe your prayer this morning could be, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I really want to know you. And if that's the sort of prayer you pray this morning, maybe you want to talk to one of us after about what that might mean for you, how you can actually get to know Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again for you. Let's just spend this time as these guys sing this song to us. Just practicing prayer. Maybe using those symbols that we've just spoke about. Thanks, Cindy.